is Bloomberg Surveillance. A lot of policymakers are maybe looking to the IMF for a bit of a green light to move forward on fiscal policy. One of the things I think is interesting in the commodity space is this return of dispersion across the commodity market. There are a lot of people perhaps on the sidelines that could come back in and compete for jobs and compete for wages and keep inflation down. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Good Friday morning. Michael McKee and Tom Keen Worldwide. Doha on Sunday on oil. The IMF happening right now in Washington. International economics and oil, part of the theme of this hour. We need a Forex brief. A churning Forex market range-bound is what many pros say. The Forex brief brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award. For the best retail Forex trading platform, visit IB at ibkr.com slash forex. Yen can't make up its mind. We're almost back to a 107 strong yen. 108.17. Um, just range bound. Sort of goes up, goes down range bound. 108.17. Um, excuse me, 108.96. I mislooked at the Bloomberg terminal. That was my fault, not the Bloomberg terminal's fault. Let's start over. 108.96 on the yen, fractionally weaker this morning. The euro, 112.76. I got that right the first time. And the dollar churning here on a Friday. We're churning, which leads us to lean back and look at the equity markets after an interesting week. I mean, Dave Wilson, the basic idea here was um, J.P. Morgan really taken positively by the street. Bank of America was sort of a churn, and it, it set the template for better than good, but there was a lot of buts out of Bank of America. Yeah, and, and now you have Citigroup as part of the mix as well, and those numbers are being well-received. Company shares up about 2.5% in early trading. It's all about less bad, really. Uh, first quarter earnings at the bank fell less than analysts surveyed by Bloomberg were expecting. Citigroup cut costs more than they anticipated, and the drop in expenses offset a trading and deal-making slump. Regions Financial up 4.5%. The bank's first quarter revenue beat analyst estimates by the widest margin in more than five years. Earnings also exceeded projections. Uh, Charles Schwab had numbers out today as well. Earnings and revenue pretty much in line with analyst estimates, and Schwab shares up about 1% at the moment. Ford Motor will be a stock to watch. Fiat Chrysler Chief Executive Sergio Marchionne said he sees the automaker as a prospective partner after General Motors rebuff his advance. Marchionne also citing Toyota Motor and Volkswagen as merger possibilities. Not much of a move in Ford so far. Nonetheless, a stock to watch. Ensco, the most active stock in early trading, down 10%. The offshore oil and gas driller is raising cash by selling 50 million shares, equivalent to a 17.5% stake. KeyBank said the sale indicates that Ensco sees, in its words, a prolonged and severe industry downturn ahead. Uh, 3D Systems. You've got a back and forth on analyst uh, calls here. Uh, the maker of three-dimensional printers down about 3%. 3D cut to sell from neutral at Citigroup a day after Bank of America Merrill Lynch raised its rating and sent the shares surging 10%. Citigroup also uh, cut its rating on 3D printer company Stratasys to neutral from buy, and that stock down about 3%. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of deal-related stories to talk about. One of them at Polycom. It's up 1%. 
the provider of video conferencing equipment, accepted a takeover offer from Canada's Mitel Networks. The cash and stock deal valued at about $2 billion in Mitel shares, down about 6% in early trading. And then you have the drug maker Relipsa, down about 8%. Uh, Relipsa no longer has the investment bank center view partners as an advisor, according to the financial website Benzinga. Story citing an unnamed source familiar with the matter. Reuters reported last week that Centerview was helping Relipsa review offers from potential buyers. David Wilson, thank you so much. What a great week for bank uh, perspective. Uh, again, thank you so much. This is wonderful. Paul Collier joins us. Um, the book is The Bottom Billion, and it's about the poorest countries that are out there. The backdrop is simple. He is out of St. Anthony's, Oxford, which was like the one college there that wasn't invented in 1492. It's a young college at Oxford and truly expert on discussing and thinking about international relations. We're thrilled to bring you Professor Collier uh, now from France. Paul, welcome to the program. And I think the great insight here for Americans particularly is the back and forth between Jeff Sachs, and William Easterly over what is the best thing to do about the bottom billion. Where do you stand in this great debate between aid, more aid, more money, and creating legitimate incentives? What jump starts the bottom billion? Well, I think aid is a bit of a sideshow. Um, I don't think aid's the problem, so I don't agree with sort of Bill Easterly there. Um, but I don't think it's the solution, so... You know, I think Jeff overstates the case for aid. Um, the solution um, is difficult because these countries have fallen behind, badly behind, um, even during periods of, you know, sort of relatively prosperous world economy. Um, and so um, there's, there's, we can't rely on any sort of automatic process that they'll catch up. If they don't catch up, the spillovers from their continued poverty, especially when some of them don't just fall behind but fall apart, those spillovers are, are very bad. So try to think of intelligent ways of helping. That's the challenge. Aid's part of it, but a relatively minor part. Trade, much more important. Um, things we can do to help governance, important. Uh, sometimes security important, um, though clearly we've made a hash of security in a lot of interventions so far. Let me ask you uh, about that trade idea. Um, what we're finding is, of course, that as trade has opened up, billions of people have been lifted out of poverty, and the living standards of m most people, the majority of people around the world, have gone up. But here in the United States, the living standards of a certain group of people have gone down. How does the world, how do politicians manage that dichotomy so that you can continue helping the bottom billion while the, I don't want to say the top billion, but a lot of people in the upper or, or better off socioeconomic categories actually lose out? You know, the bottom billion is no threat to the top billion. Um, the... Uh, if it ever is a threat, it's going to be a threat through um, state collapse and the spillovers from it, rather than through uh, the, the trade opportunities that the bottom billion take up. Yeah, but you tell that to um, the uh, politicians in the United States yeah, who are running I mean, against the bottom if, billion. If the, if the poorest countries in the world manage to break in 
to uh, the bottom of the pile industrialization, the sort of very labor-intensive T-shirts and that sort of thing. If they manage to do that, the jobs they'll threaten are in China. And actually, China's trying to get rid of those jobs because China is now getting to an absolute shortage of young workers. The number of young workers in China is actually falling now because of their crazy one-child policy. And so um, they're actually trying to shift out of China the really labor-intensive manufacturing. Possibly that could shift, some of that could shift to Africa. It's just starting to happen in Ethiopia. Um, that would be a real big boon. It's hard to get industry started uh, in countries that basically don't have any. Mm -hmm. Because modern industry works through clusters. You know, you get a cluster of firms together and it lowers everybody's costs. Getting those clusters started is hard because nobody wants to be the first firm. If you're just joining us, so it's Paul Collier, The Bottom Billion. One more question, Professor, and we'll have you back for our next section as well. You talk in your book about I'm missing the boat. Who's missing the boat in 2016? There's still about a billion people in about 50 or 60 countries that have missed the boat. They've, they've had a, a – the last decade has been kind to them, but it's been kind in an unsustainable way. They benefited from the commodity booms because they were commodity exporters. That game is over. And so they've got to find a more sustainable game. Let's come back. Paul Kaye with us, uh, with Oxford University and, of course, this book, The Bottom uh, Billion. Let me get the whole title up here, Michael McKee, Why the Poorest Countries Are Failing and What We Can Be Done About It. This really folds in nicely, folks, with an international uh, relations in the, Mike, really the timeless debate back to our ute of uh, if we could just build another dam that would solve that would solve everything. Right. That was our youth uh, as we dove into this. Really, not much has changed in the debate. We'll come back with Paul Collier of St. Anthony's in uh, Oxford. He comes to us from France today. Futures negative three. It's been one big churn on a Friday. I misquoted yen earlier. Let's try to do it right now. One oh nine point zero three. That's a weaker yen. I don't want to make too much of it. One oh seven. One oh eight. Weaker yen from one twenty. It's a very strong yen for Mr. Abe. Euro 112.74. With all in all through the week, one big dollar churn. And of course, the backdrop of this are the IMF meetings uh, in Washington. $40.33 on oil. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Bernie Sanders is in Rome today to attend the Vatican Conference. Sanders and Hillary Clinton were in a tense Democratic presidential debate in New York. Last night's face-off in Brooklyn came just days before the New York primary. At one point, the debate moderators said no one could hear the two of them if they continued screaming at each other. President Obama will head to the U.K. next week. The president will call for Britain to remain part of the European Union. It is an embarrassing setback for North Korea. U.S. and South Korean officials say a missile launched by the North that was meant to celebrate its founder's birthday has failed. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? And Michael Barr, thanks so much. Uh, Dollar Canada, 128.78. Again, hydrocarbon currencies having a better bout of it recently. Ruble, 
Uh, dollar ruble, 66. Wow, was that distant from 80? 80 to 66 within the oil recovery. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Stay with us, please. Market Drivers brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. Outstanding offers are in full bloom at your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers. Take advantage of limited-time lease and finance programs on select models this spring season. Visit MBUSA.com for details today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. The Bloomberg Futures Report brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. And there's breaking economic news crossing the Bloomberg. We go to Vinny Del Judice with the latest. Vinny. Karen, weak, disappointing data from the Federal Reserve. Industrial production in March down 0.6%, more than forecast. Manufacturing alone down 0.3%. Economists had been looking for a gain in that category. Again, the Fed reporting industrial production, March down 0.6%, weaker than forecast. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinita Judice. Karen, back to you. Thanks, Vinny. Futures remain lower following that report, with S&P E-mini futures down 3.5 points, Dow E-mini futures down 20, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down 11. DAX in Germany is down 4 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up 6.30 seconds, the yield 1.76 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.5 percent, or $1.05 to $40.44 a barrel. COMEX gold up 4 tenths percent, or $4.80 to 12.31.40 an ounce. The euro, $1.1284, the yen 108.92. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Michael McKee, we have to pause for that production number. I just did a 3, 6, and 12-month study of it, and it's getting moldy. We're not back to 01 recession moldy, but it is. it gives pause to see the concave trends of 3 and 6 and 12-month industrial production. Well, um, the question is, is that what was the, because you get the, uh, these, um, ISM like indicators that suggest yeah. things may be getting better going forward. Yeah. Well, there it is. Um, most interesting to say the least. Uh, we are speaking on maybe a voice that is less heard in Washington at the IMF meetings. That is the bi- bottom billion. Paul Collier for years, uh, working at Oxford on international relations has really tried to think about what do we do? Paul, the old answer used to be build a dam. We were all weaned on Nasser in Egypt. That worked out. What's the new theory? What drives the World Bank, particularly the World Bank, but the IMF? What's the new theory they're using when they help? I think we've got to get back to basics. Um, the last decade was a, a benign decade for for the poorest countries. But it was an unsustainable decade. It started with debt relief. Then you had um, a commodity boom. The commodity boom triggered a, a wave of resource discoveries. And then the world became awash with liquidity. And so people were willing to lend sovereign, to, willing to buy sovereign bonds from very poor countries. All that's over. We now need a new game. And the, the new game will be back to the fundamentals of productivity. And that's those fundamentals, I think, are uh, energy uh, and connectivity. So in part, it is back to dams. You know, there's one country in Africa that's really building dams. That's Ethiopia. It's pretty sensible. 
Um, they've got a lot of water on high ground. They can generate a lot of cheap electricity, and that can be the basis for uh, helping to get industrialization going. So dams are not stupid. They've been very unfashionable for the last 30 years, but they're not stupid. Well, it's not so much the dams, I think, is the idea that you, you just uh, build infrastructure uh, and, and the Chinese get accused of this, build infrastructure that may not be needed just to keep people employed. No, sure. So the, the Chinese have saturated their economy in uh, excessive infrastructure. Africa is the opposite extreme. It's desperately short of basics. It's desperately short of road networks. It's desperately short of electricity. You know, you go to an African city and the lights keep going off. So just just get those fundamentals provided. And that's pretty expensive. It's not going to be financed through aid. And so uh, African countries need access to private capital markets. It probably won't come through sovereign Mm -hmm. bonds. We need to get project finance sorted out so that the the risk structure uh, is much more manageable. Well, to that point... well, you know, there's a new study by Moody's showing that actually African infrastructure is pretty well indistinguishable from OECD infrastructure and its risk properties. It's not that risky, yeah. but it's perceived as very risky. We mentioned Jeff Sachs before in the concept of aid and money. Help me with a William Easterly world, which is front and center building constructive incentives. Which institution builds incentives for development for the bottom billion? Property rights are important, and a really, really good starting point is um, is urban land rights. You know, Africa in the next decade is going to urbanise fast, and at the moment, its cities are a mess. Um, and a key reason why they're a mess is that the basic rights to urban land haven't been sorted out. They're confused. Um, some countries, for example, Rwanda, Rwanda has now registered all urban land ownership. And so it's clear, and it was done very fast. If Rwanda can do it, anybody can do it. But most yeah. African cities, the land ownership is disputed. And so, of course, nobody's got to build on yeah. it. And so the very basics of getting a city uh, built with decent density, with good tr- transport connections, that, that's you know, that's what yeah. makes New York prosperous. Um, but you go to you go to the big cities in Africa, and they're they're single story yeah. cities. So they're cities of shacks, Which are, well, and and you can't move. They're just yeah. uh, massive traffic jams yeah. because there aren't enough roads and there isn't any public yeah. means of transport. Interesting. I was reading in the Huffington Post a terrific article in the Philippines this weekend on Manila's uh, traffic jam. Paul Kaye, thank you so much. Congratulations. On the bottom billion, why the poorest countries are failing and what can be done about it. Michael, you're over there. What do you have? Yeah, we got some news here. Um, the Bank of England has a new monetary policy committee member. Citigroup's uh, Western Europe chief economist Michael Saunders oh. is going to join the MPC. This, according to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, making that uh, announcement in Washington at the IMF meetings. Uh, he'll replace Martin Wheel. So Michael Saunders goes from city to city. To, Interesting. To the good gray lady. I looked at the six-month industrial production. If you take out recessions, it's back to 1989. 
that gives pause, a little bit of a rollover. Well, then let's take a pause. In the nation's IP, we'll take a pause. We'll come back. Bloomberg Surveillance, stay with us. We're counting down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. 